We just stepped on their face with a hobnailed boot and broke their nose. One, two, three. Bullshit. Welcome to the Tide Run Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Bethay. I am back flying solo today to talk to you about something other than UJ football. I know it's been about seven months since I've done that. But I'm actually here with my first season update on the Atlanta Hawks. If you're listening to this, you are probably already well aware that the Atlanta Hawks fired head coach Nate McMillan on Tuesday. Um, two years Less, less than two years after making an Eastern Conference Finals run, McMillan exits with a record of 99-80, and 80, but the Hawks have just finished an underwhelming regular season in 2021-22 where they made it through the plan and then got just destroyed by the Miami Heat. And they're currently sitting at another underwhelming record of 29-30 and 30 in an eighth place in the East. And if you watched Hawks basketball, you've watched them pretty much just kind of wallow in that eight, seven nine range for most of the last two months maddening to watch as they are the team that is literally win three lose two win four lose five and they've just been stuck in mediocrity for all of last regular season and to this point all this regular season and as a Hawks fan one thing's been frustrating is that while last year's team found an identity in like having an elite offense the number two offense in the league in offensive rating and Trey Young was rewarded with an All-NBA recognition from running the NBA's second-best offense. This year's team hasn't been able to figure out how to make DeJounte Murray fit into their system. And when I say system, I use that term loosely because Nick McMillan's idea of an offensive scheme is double drags for the primary ball handler at the top of the key or high pick and roll. And if you're not involved directly in the screen action... You stand at the three-point line and wait for the ball to come to you or wait for Trey Young to break someone down one-on-one and dish you the ball. And with DeJounte Murray being another high-usage ball-dominant guard, when Trey's running high pick-and-rolls or double drags, Murray's left standing in the corner, where he is actually having a good year shooting threes. I think he was around 35% the last time I've looked, but I think he's up closer to 40% for the last month or so. And Trey, who has zero interest in off-ball movement, sits the corner whenever DeJounte Murray is handling the ball, and Trey is having a historically bad shooting year for him, the worst since his rookie year. So, having said all that, the Hawks traded away Kevin Herter, moved on from Danilo Gallinari and DeLon Wright, all these trying to cut costs for some reason because apparently we didn't want to go over the luxury tax. And the result was that we made this all-in move for DeJounte Murray where we trade away a bunch of draft picks, and then we trade away the bench players that made us really good on offense last year with DeLon Wright really being our best player in the Miami Heat series for long stretches. And the result was we went from having a really potent and well-rounded bench last year to huge question marks on our bench in 2023. Add to that the fact that we are a young team with players like Jalen Johnson and A.J. Griffin who need to get playing time, which we know is not one of Nate's strength. Now, to his credit, he's played A.J. Griffin way more than anybody ever thought he would. But when you combine all these factors, his inability to create a good offensive scheme with these two ball-dominant guards, the fact that he isn't great at player development, I mean, you saw a lot of growth with Kevin Herter, John Collins, and Trey Young under Lloyd Pierce. And while Pierce had a lot of flaws, you did see them get better every year when he was head coach. Haven't seen that same kind of development out of McMillan. And let's not understand how much of a trash roster this is. You traded Kevin Herter away for picks and a guy that you ended up not even playing in your rotation because he couldn't shoot in Justin Holiday. His one NBA skill is shooting, and he's having a horrible shooting year. So you essentially turned Kevin Herter into picks and nothing 
A.J. Griffin's been a surprise. Dylan Johnson hasn't developed a jump shot. Gallo, even though he was in the twilight of his career, was still a bucket every two or three nights. And then you let DeLon Wright walk away, who was the best backup point guard we've had since Trey's been here and one of the best defenders on the team. Ironically, and this is crazy, the starting lineup of Trey, DeJounte, Clint Capella, DeAndre Hunter, and John Collins actually has the best defensive rating of any five-man lineup in the NBA that's logged at least 300 minutes. The problem, you've always had someone hurt. It was DeAndre earlier. Then it was Capella. So this lineup hasn't played together as much as it should. And the fact that that lineup is that good defensively and the Hawks are still a bottom third team in the league defensively tells you how unbalanced the rest of this roster is. And again, that's not Nate's fault. But there is no reason a team with Trey Young and DeJounte Murray should be middle of the pack in offense. The Hawks were a top 10 offense when Trey was playing with garbage players his second year in the NBA. So he alone should get you a top 10 offense, even if the rest of the team isn't great. And I don't think you can blame him for the questionable roster management. He deserves the blame for our inability to establish a scheme and an identity. At least last year we had an identity as an offense team. We have none this year. So our offensive rating this year is down from number two to number 14. Defense is improved slightly from 21 this year up from 26 last year. But we've been on a treadmill. We're, we're too talented to tank, but we're not good enough to actually compete. And this is where we have to start the conversation about Trey Young. And there's been a lot of smoke about the fractures in McMillan's relationships with Trey. And enough that you almost have to believe that there's some fire. Famously, Trey no-showed a game in December against the Nuggets after they got into it at shoot-around. And he would not was not willing to sit on the bench. And a few weeks later, there was rumors that Nate was going to just walk away and retire because he was just kind of done with coaching. And the team supposedly talked him back, and then everybody came out and denied the report. Nate said he was committed to the team. But there's just been a lot going on under the surface. Obviously, you have questions about Trey's leadership. And it was pretty clear that McMillan and the Hawks were headed for a divorce in the near future. I think anybody that follows Hawks would have expected him to not return after this season. But the team swooned going into the All-Star break, and that seems to kind of have expedited the process. But, again... Trey beefed with Lloyd Pierce. Trey beefed with Nate McMillan. Now he'll be on his third head coach in the last two-plus seasons. Does this make Trey a coach killer? That's the question here. It seems like the answer would be yes. You know, he's gotten essentially gotten two coaches run off because he couldn't get along with either of them. And let's be honest here. Lloyd Pierce was a rookie head coach that had no pedigree. He didn't do a great job. He underachieved what was a good roster that year. And it was kind of justified when McMillan takes that same roster to the Eastern Conference Finals, <laughs> and Lloyd Pierce had a losing record. And we've gone over how Lloyd Pierce was sabotaged his first two years at the Hawks, but that last third year where he got a good roster, he didn't do a whole lot with it. He didn't get along with Trey Young, and it was very easy to move on when you had an established coach like Nate McMillan on the bench. McMillan is an established coach. He is well-respected. He's had success in the playoffs with the Hawks, and yet he still couldn't get along with Trey, and he's gone. So again, I'll ask the question, does this make Trey a coach killer? And if you answer yes, then I think what you have to say is, well, historically, that would make just about every current championship superstar in the NBA a coach killer. Because the truth is, pretty much nobody wins with their first head coach. Um, LeBron James is a great example. 
Mike Brown got canned in 2010 after he had consecutive 61 years and was the coach of the year in 2009. But supposedly he didn't vibe with LeBron James. There's stories about LeBron changing plays. Mike Brown would call in the huddle or just ignoring his instructions. And he got canned. Famous one, and this is posted also as an article on our website with the great video of Stan Van Gundy and Dwight Howard and what is one of the most awkward and wonderful press conferences of all time where Stan tells the media that he knows that Dwight Howard wants him fired and Dwight Howard walks in right away and starts talking to him. Hilarious, awkward stuff. But Van Gundy got the axe in May of 2012 after a six-year run where he made the playoffs every year and reached the NBA Finals in 2009, and he was gone. LeBron James and David Blatt during LeBron's second run the Cavs made the NBA Finals with David Blatt as a rookie NBA head coach. He got fired the next season while they were 30-11 and 11 and in first place. <laughs> and uh, David Griffin, who was a GM, said that there was a lack of fit with their personnel and vision, which we know pretty clearly translates into LeBron didn't like him. I remember there's a famous, uh, this isn't even a rumored story. This is something LeBron confirmed. It's a famous incident where at the end of the game, Blatt calls a play in the huddle. LeBron changes the play on the floor. And after the game, in the post-game interview, he says he called something I didn't like, so I scrapped it. <laughs> so there was clear evidence that that relationship wasn't going to work out. And so Tyler replaces him. The Cavs won a championship over the 73-win Warriors. James Harden and Kevin McHale. So James Harden reportedly pushed for McHale's firing 11 games into the 15-16 season with three previous winning seasons and the fact they had made the conference finals the year before and lost the Warriors. And... Harden apparently did not like McHale and advocated also for Dwight Howard to get traded. So, Luka Doncic and Rick Carlisle. Carlisle, who was a championship coach, you know, won the one with Dirk Nowitzki, beat the Heatles. He's universally respected around the league, but he left the Mavs in 2021. A lot of it having to do with, reportedly, growing distrust in the front office with Mark Cuban rumored to be listening to one of his gambling buddies and taking a lot of personnel and basketball intel from him. And also for Luka Doncic, ironically, one of them being the way he treated Dennis Smith Jr. Carlisle apparently wasn't high on DSJ, which is one of the reasons they drafted Luka. He didn't think he could develop into the kind of lead point guard that he really wanted. And he apparently tried to pit DSJ and Luka against each other, despite the fact that they were apparently pretty tight. So he would apparently go on tirades against Dennis Smith Jr. and accuse him of being jealous of Luka. And these are some things that reportedly Dantas said really soured him in his relationship with Carlisle. Also, the style of play where Luka's very ball-dominant. And generally, when Carlisle has been successful, they've used a two-guard system where the ball handling is shared and the ball's moved a little bit more, which obviously does not match Luka's style of play. So, a championship coach. So, a championship coach walks away from the Mavs just three years into Luka's career with them actually having some success. And then, obviously, last year they made the conference finals for losing to the Warriors. Kevin Durant and Steve Nash. Man, is this one fresh. So we all know Nash replaced Kenny Atkinson in 2020, largely because of his relationship with GM Sean Marks, and he had worked with Kevin Durant when he was uh, a part of the Golden State Warriors organization. And so after some disappointing injury-plagued seasons where Nash was really never given the full roster he should have had, we all know Durant asked for Nash to be fired this past summer, reportedly as a condition of Durant remaining with the team. And, you know, supposedly the fences were mended. I think we all kind of knew it was just a ticking time bomb. And seven games in the season, they fire Nash anyway. So there's more. I mean, I didn't – Boogie Cousins and Paul Westfall, Richard Hamilton and 
John Quester, Darren Williams, and Jerry Sloan. Apparently, Darren Williams would not run the stuff that Jerry Sloan called. Sloan being one of the greatest coaches of the last 30 years. And, of course, the Trail Spiro literally choking out his coach, P.J. Carlesimo. So, the list is long and distinguished. And here's the point of me saying all this. Anytime, and I do mean anytime, a star player is on a team and that team underperforms, the coach is going to take fire. He's always the first one to take fire. It's a player's league. And a guy making $37 million will always be valued over a guy making $4 million. And an all-star player will always be valued more than a coach of the year. That's how the league works. And there's a bunch of cases where even if a star player doesn't want the coach canned, the performance is still blamed on the head coach. So Doc Rivers, who's the greatest head coach in Clippers history, got fired because the Kawhi Leonard and Paul George team blew a 3-1 lead against Denver in the second round of the 2020 playoffs and blew a 3-1 lead the year before to the Blazers. And so when you don't perform well, the blame goes on the head coach because teams don't fire players, at least not right away. Frank Vogel won a championship with the Lakers and 18 months later unemployed because he couldn't figure out how to make Russell Westbrook fit into a roster that was horribly constructed. Brett Brown literally pulls Philly from the gutters of the NBA into perennial playoff contention. But because Kawhi Leonard gets a lucky bounce on a (laughs) three-pointer that probably kept him from making the conference finals or maybe in the NBA finals, he's gone. And Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, two star players who people thought should be good and who Brett Brown helped develop, they're off with Doc Rivers now, another coach. The coach always gets the blame. Talent leads expectations, and when there is unmet expectations, there is turnover. But the turnover always starts with the head coach. And then once that doesn't work, they start looking at the players. And this is where the Hawks are right now. So Trey Young, he might be a poor leader. Probably is. He might even be a coach killer. But this is part of the cycle for every championship superstar that wasn't drafted by the San Antonio Spurs. Very, very few superstars win with their first coach. Giannis Antetokounmpo won his first championship with his fifth head coach and Mike Budenhoser. Dwayne Wade won with his second. Kevin Durant won with his third head coach and had to leave and go to a different team to do so. And then the current generation of stars without titles like Embiid, Jokic, John Morant, Luka, Trey, Devin Booker, Shea Gilgeous, whoever else, all of them are on head coach two or greater. So... It looks bad. I get it. I get it. The optics are bad. Trey hasn't got along with two coaches. The team's underperformed, and both coaches have been fired. At some point, there's going to be a reckoning on Trey. But for right now, the Hawks have pushed their chips into the center of the table and said, hey, we're going to give this another shot with a new coach. And truthfully, if it's who we think it's going to be in Quinn Snyder, he's an upgrade over Nate McMillan. He is. He's had 61 seasons. They've had the one seed. They haven't had a ton of playoff success, but he has won the playoffs. McMillan had really a pretty horrible playoff record prior to that Easter Conference Finals run. And Snyder's probably an upgrade. Um, If it still doesn't work, and when I say doesn't work, I don't mean that the Hawks won a championship. I mean, if there's another clash of personality or styles with a third coach, you have to point to it at that point and say, Trey, maybe it's you. And that's when you start the conversations about moving on from Trey Young. At this point... Trading away a 24-year-old guy who made the All-NBA team just last year, and despite not being an All-Star this year, which I think we all know is ridiculous, is averaging 27 and 10. Um, you don't move on from guys like that at 24. That that's stupid. 
but the time of reckoning is coming from Trey. He has got to be willing to grow and change his style. He's got to be willing to either become a leader or at least allow a head coach to lead in the way that they want. Or else, Trey Young will not only become a coach killer, he'll become a former Hawk. Y'all let me know what you think in the comments. This has been Dave Bethay from Todd Run Sports. That's it for today. Thank you for listening.